You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. Before I get started, I do want to give a shout out to that absolute legend of the MTG Finance subreddit. That way, way, way back in the Halcyon days of 2021, uh, posted in the subreddit, I own over 700 Urza's Bobbles and will continue to buy more every week until they reach their fair market value at $10 each. Well, guess what? It finally happened. Congratulations, guy. You did it. It's awesome. Anyways, without further ado then, let's go ahead and get started with the topic, which we haven't done a check-in with us personally nope. for a while a on what our thoughts are. We've kind of grazed on it and, like, what we do for what. But yeah, it has been a minute. Yep. So this week, does organized play change anything for us personally? Like, what we're doing locally for our players, what we're doing for our booths? Mm -hmm how we're shifting around that that's what we're covering today so, so let's get started yeah so for me actually a lot of it comes cascading down from changes at the lgs level uh, as an individual dealer there used to be an interesting organized space for people to play on wednesdays modern on wednesdays and legacy every other sunday up here that will no longer be holding events and the vendor that was working there and basically freelancing at my primary LGS is moving to Boston. So that opens up a hole. Friday at my primary LGS is Commander still. I do not believe they have picked up any constructed formats. And Pioneer, despite being a Pro Tour format, does not seem to be popular in paper yet. So overall, what I would be doing to support my local player base does not change in the immediate future, but that doesn't mean it won't. I believe Tuesday nights are pioneer at the one LGS that holds non-commander paper events in a given week, and attendance for that seems to be basically um, MVP to hold an event. So what is that, like six people? Yeah, I think that's enough for a round-robin casual event. Maybe yep. eight. If things change, then I could absolutely see what I do changing in the future. But right now, when it comes to speculating and looking at Magic as a you know, financial thing, I'm really just kind of holding tight to Commander because specs and trends are easier to read for Commander yeah. than anything else. I, I think it's been really interesting because to me it's less what what has had a bigger influence on me is less this announcement of organized play it's been the shift back to in-person events which this announcement does help emphasize so it's become you know now that we're having these more consistent events i'm one of those guys that typically i'll take my payment in cards uh, I get a little bit of extra money that way, and it lets me satisfy my local markets mm -hmm. with stuff that I don't necessarily want to sell at a discount in a booth. 
you know, I've got my inventory. I may not want to sell it at 70% because I'm usually paying 60 to 65. And that's just not great margin if you put a value on your time. So for me, you know, it it hasn't really changed specking much. I'm still slumlording it with the reserve list and Sarkin's unsealing and unbound flirt, like all those ones that I've doubled down on multiple times. I'm yeah. still specking hard on those. Uh, but what's actually happened is my inventory has kind of shifted more towards, you know, my show stock, so to speak, has shifted more towards modern and pioneer mm-hmm. with still, you know, a fair amount of EDH stuff. And what I've been picking up as payment for events has literally just been like, hey, I'm getting X amount of stuff at this percentage. Send me your list and I'll have it for you at the end of the weekend. And what I've actually done is started to pare down my show inventory. Okay. Because now that I'm going to be doing more shows for other people, I'd much rather spend their money than mine. Yeah, yeah. That's usually the way to do it. Uh, especially if you don't want to dedicate a lot of time to it. So I've started paring a lot of that down, and I actually, you know, the nice thing, and this was kind of a pick that I shouted out with Renan6, uh, having these events means there are some real aggressive buy lists. So pro tip, if Tales of Adventure is at an event, ask if Shohei is at the booth. He pays a lot of money for standard cards. Mm -hmm. They're a GP vendor who's paying money for standard cards. Which is huge. That's insane. But they're there, it provides an out, and it's allowed me to pare my personal inventory down to kind of cater it to, like, my 20 to 30 regular customers that I'm always the first person they hit up. Yep. They're like, hey, I need cards. Do you have them? So it's it's been a nice shift for me to be able to go more personal with it. Oh, absolutely. I will say something that you mentioned in regards to your focus for your own uh, personal inventory is kind of where I'm at right now because I think I'm going to be able to double dip on it better than Pioneer and that's I'm looking at modern staples yep. and I'm buying them from LGS's in the area or from individuals when I can Yeah, for whatever reason because Pioneer isn't really picking up in paper around here it makes me feel like once the modern FNMs come back at the store I used to play at when they're done moving and if this other LGS starts to hold more modern events outside of 5 p.m. starts on a Monday, I think that's where I'm really going to be able to serve my community better. And obviously, if I'm buying, you know, fetches and shocks, like, sure, that also serves the EDH community. But yeah. I'm also looking at noteworthy playables, not just, like, collected company for the two people that want to play the uh, the Devoted Druid Heliod combo yeah. deck. I'm going wider. I want to go wider with like Urza Sagas and um, Murktide Regents, which is still a little narrow, but you have a Death Shadows deck in there. Things like that that yeah. just kind of perform across the format that also aren't price prohibitive right now. Like, I think if I wanted to, I could have bought every Ragavan I've seen locally, wound up with like eight or ten out of cases. But at no point in time would I be able to get rid of them. People either already have their Ragavans because they've been out long enough, or they wouldn't be able to trade into them. They'd have to trade, you know, quote-unquote, too much to get there. And that, by all means, that's fine. Yeah. And I I think that's been kind of the interesting thing that this announcement has kind of done. And it's not just you and I. It's other people I've talked to. They've, They've kind of said, look, you know, if I'm, you know, not primarily selling on TCG, uh, if this is like a side hustle for me yep. and I'm not using it as my primary means of income, a lot of people have started going to like, you know, I'm going to go more local. Yeah. 
Like I, I want to serve my local community because these are the people that are my bread and butter. And if they come to me before TCG player, I just want to, you know, take care of them. Absolutely. You know, yeah. there'll be three stores up here that can hold regional qualifiers yeah, and only one store that is actively selling singles. So I can definitely spackle that gap as needed because that store is basically just a buy and sell whatever walks through the door and they end up selling a lot of their format staples for formats that matter to this guy. Yep. So, you know, that, that kind of is what it is in that regard. I can just turn back around and trade it back to to the players when they need it. It helps the store because it churns inventory and it helps the players because I don't mind sitting on, you know, 14 Yavamayas. Exactly. Like, those will go to EDH players. Those will go to modern players. It's not not a big ask for me. Yeah. The one thing I will say that this is kind of done is it gets me back into the habit of reading like almost every card in a given set right now. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day as uh, because we've got to, we want to do our own episodes going back to set releases and things like that, and it's like I can't just skip around and look at the cards with like pushed class costs, so like zero to three, and then some chunky stuff like yeah. five to seven. I, I can't like cut that out i have to read legitimately everything in a set now because it could have immediate implications because there could be something that is underpriced at the end of the day and that served us pretty well to call out not every edh card has a realistic price because sometimes people are hyper focused on a number yeah. of things and that's happening with new capena right now there are a lot of cards that people are hyper focusing on from the <clears> set and that ripples down and that's yep. stuff we'll be touching on in the next couple of episodes. But that means that there are going to be some cards that fall through the cracks. So yeah. I'm looking for that subset of cards. And I think that's, you know, it's it's exciting almost because you do get to focus on these subsets. It's like a new meta almost mm -hmm. where all of a sudden, oh, we actually have like you know, we've had the arena meta, we've had the moto meta, but as we've seen event through event historically through magic, paper meta is very drastically different often yep. than the online meta. So now we have, all right, well, let's try to find these like fringe playables, try to get on the tech, see if we have someone who's grinding for the pro tour, who's actively participating in these groups, yep. who's doing these things that can give us the information and say, hey, uh, let's do the thing. And it's it's a lot better, I think. Yeah. Like, it's it's been very, very good. That actually, everything you said just kind of dovetails into my next point, and it actually does speak to something that's going on up here. So the, people aren't playing Pioneer and Paper. My grinders, my, my Pro Tour players, are playing on Moto. People yeah. are coming back, and the testing group that we have has been a buzz about Pioneer for the last couple of weeks. People sure, coming... Yeah. People who haven't opened Moto in years. Where do I go to rent cards? Who's got promo codes? What should we be playing right now? Who's testing what? What, this, what does the format look like? What is underserved? Yeah. And so that group is coming back strong. But for me, for Pioneer, to look at my player base as a whole, I am setting up a six-month plan for myself for Pioneer before I start specking on it. Because one of the most important things is what you just mentioned, is I have to divine my sources of format information. I can't just mm -hmm. go in blind 
and I can't just scatter shot. Without dividing this information, specking on Pioneer, like specking on any other format, is difficult and everything just becomes noise. And I don't know what to filter and what's real. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that's important whenever we have not just an announcement like this, mm -hmm. but any time we have a shift in the game like this, which is really what this is. It's it's a shift, obviously, in how the game's going to be played. It's a shift in how the financial drivers work because all of a sudden we actually do have paper magic again. Yep. It's it's not just the EDH market. So, you know, when if you look back in our episode history, we'll periodically say, hey, here's the things that we're paying attention to. These are the things that we're looking at that we're saying, hey, this is something we want to, you know, use as a resource. Go back and listen. Yeah. See, you know, what you used in the past that you may have gotten away from in the last two years that all of a sudden, hey, this is really relevant again. Maybe we should look at this. And I think that that's something that goes a long way to kind of reacquainting you with the way things work mm -hmm. in a paper meta. What has worked for you in the past? All right. Do it again. We'll do it live. Who exactly. Cares? I just need to find out now who's focusing on Pioneer, trying to... Yeah. I've been talking with, with some people, and I'm going back to Todd Anderson again because Todd is now trying to bill himself as the Pioneer guy and has been for yeah. a couple of months. Trying to follow somebody like Aspiring Spike is difficult because Spike jumps from deck to deck, from idea yep. to idea, from format to format and is not kind of a specialist. At least while watching yeah. Todd, I get to watch Todd play usually established decks unless he's doing yeah. a stipulation on stream, and he's always discussing the format, so it's very real. But I want to find more people like that. I don't need people writing about the format anymore. I can just watch games and people talk about the format and get exactly yeah. what I need from it. And then discuss it with people that are actually grinding, and that's going to yeah. do way more for me now than anything that I was doing before. And the yep. biggest thing that I'm going to do in regards to the Pioneer out in this period is actually going to be reviewing the, the box. I think it's like 600. That's a 600 count of all the cards that I've specced on for Pioneer. Either cards I pulled out that I've been picking up over time, like Bring the Lights I had before Pioneer was a format, so they went in that box yep. because it was a thing, right? Then Niv to Light became a deck on Arena, but nobody's playing in paper. And the ability to move the quantity that I had was very difficult because of the buy-in price. Yeah. But maybe in paper that deck comes back. Maybe yeah. something pushes something else in the format and that makes room for Nibnizza to come back. But it's going to be very important for me to go through that box and understand where it went wrong with cards that I actually bought to spec on. A good example is Hazard at the Fervent. Pick that card because a deck that was designed Chonky Red, a Todd Anderson special that people cite as being an early pillar of the format, fell apart. The The yeah. biscuit wheels just fell off that gravy train and that Hazard spec died on the vine. Now, I'm not unhappy that I picked up those cards. It's a loss. But it'll only be a loss for a certain amount of time. The rest of that yeah. box needs some help, though. And I need to figure out how to not make those same mistakes. Yeah. And I, I think that's... You know, when we talk about over the last couple of years as we've had picks and we've said, hey, timeline is this unless things accelerate. Mm -hmm. One thing we never mentioned, and this is an important like, hey, you know, mea culpa almost is 
We didn't mention how format changes may affect things because none of us expected Pioneer to be the card, right? Yeah, the play. Yeah. Like, none of us thought Pioneer was coming back. I, we, we said on the podcast at least. I know I did. I'm like, ah, eh, Pioneer's dead. Ah, they don't care. Yeah, because they didn't push uh, it to arena. Coming. Yeah, they didn't push it to arena. So why, why would we ever consider that this is a thing that they're going to go for? And lo and behold, they went for it. But I think for me, this has kind of not only changed like my obviously what I'm stocking, what I'm taking to shows, everything. It really has done a lot to change my philosophy of okay, uh, these, you know. I'm super linear. This is the way it's going to be. This is, I'm all in on this. You know, this is what I'm thinking. This is how this will work. And it really has forced me to kind of go outside that and be like, nah, maybe, maybe not. I, I need to be mindful of these other changes that may happen. However, unlikely that they're going to say, Hey, pioneers are format. Mm -hmm. Now they still could. I I can't deny that now clearly Mm -hmm. because it's the format. Yeah. You know, we have eight months nine months before the pioneer pro tour and in that six months in the first six months of that eight is when i hope to learn more about pioneer to be able to look at that format and evaluate because to your point we format changes can come quickly and the deeper a format the longer it can take yeah so vintage and legacy being like the deepest formats then modern then pioneer but pioneer was a format that was in its heyday just riddled with bands oh they yeah. just tore that format apart if you look at the bnr announcement yeah and the announcements come as like the first week in december the third week in december kind of stuff and i'm hoping that in this six month period as people start to adapt pioneer maybe the announcement announcement that we got today about a new format coming to arena is pioneer wants takes any corrective actions necessary to be able to create a very steady format through the next couple of set releases where we can then basically adapt or adopt pioneer into our existing speculation models and actually utilize this format properly not just to make money from but also better serve our clientele either locally or remotely at events because at the end of the day vending is all about serving your clientele and if you're not able to do that, then you're just not kind of like doing it properly. You also can't bring all of Pioneer with you. With you. So you got to make some choices, some informed True. choices. Yeah. And if you don't have that information, you're, you're not informed, then you just can't make the proper choices to bring X, Y, and Z to events. Like, yeah, Lotus Field and Omniscience and like Winota, that kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. But... What else is out there? What else do you need to be mindful of? How is the format evolving or changing? Who do you need to talk to ahead of time to make sure that what you're ordering from the website or stocking your binders with is appropriate? Yeah. Yeah. Important. Yep. Uh, And I I think, too, 
one of the important things that you just said that I think I want to emphasize is you cannot bring all of Pioneer with you. You cannot bring all of a format. Something we talk about repeatedly, pick your niche, go for yeah. it. What's, you know, obviously you're going to cover the staples. Besides that, do you want to bring the uncommons? Do you want to bring the stuff that you can charge $5 for because people want it now? Or would you rather bring a little bit more EDH stuff? And I think that, you know, as these events return, mm -hmm. obviously it becomes much more important. And the incredibly interesting thing is, you know, on the larger scale with vendors, okay, well, what kind of clientele can you expect in an event like DreamHack, which isn't necessarily just your Pro Tour players? And that's something that I, you know, for me is just fascinating to think about and, yeah. you know, ruminate on. Yeah. So we, DreamHack is... When I think of DreamHack and the vendors that would be there, it's going to operate more like NYCC or AX, yeah. where you are bringing in a physical game into a digital environment. And, yep. and neither NYCC nor AX are gaming expos, but what they have there are demos and pros in those circuits so when i went to nycc not only was riot there with their giant booth where they would bring people out to play on stage but rare was there and they had this their booth was just a pedestal a really yeah. squat pedestal and on the top was uh, a large display and when people were at the booth, they were up top interviewing professional, and I'll put words, a quotes around that word, killer instinct players, because it was the year that <laughs> KI3 yep. was coming out. Yeah. And the reason I put quotes around that is because like the time between KI Gold and 3 was like a decade and a half. So I, I, like, I don't know, the game wasn't at Evo. None of them were there, like until three happened so i don't know where they found these people like justin wong i think is a native of new york city so you just tap some people like that yeah some demo right but bringing like troll and toad was there at nycc troll and toad yeah. was at anime expo which is very similar and that's what i think of when i think of dreamhack is just like you're you're bringing it like that's the kind of event you're gonna hold where you're gonna have digital demos of things you're going to have professional players at these events and then yep. oh by the way this physical card game is going to have some kind of presence yeah and i know it's a real that was a really long like sidewindy way to get here but like that's what it was like yeah both of these uh, an anime expo and a comic-con riot was at both of them and rare was at nycc demoing killer instinct 3 i think yep. south park was also there they had set up one of the buildings i think it was it wasn't a house it might have been the school yeah and you couldn't see what was going on you had to go inside but the stick of truth i think was the demo reel that they part. were showing yeah. yeah inside so you have these like these weird digital demos going on and it just felt not out of place because that's my world mm -hmm. but if i was there as just an anime fan or somebody there to see the comic legends that were there that aren't my world then it might feel weird and out of place yeah and i kind of imagine that's what dreamhack is going to be like the first time but 
they've come out and said like hey we have big plans for yeah. streaming this and as far as i know the only question about dreamhack is are they using judge academy or not to source their judges yeah that's the only thing people seem to care about right now not you know who are we bringing in who's gonna gunsling you know yeah. what is vending look are you like? gonna have gunslingers what's vending look like who's vending yeah. even uh they still have not posted a vendor list on their website as of yesterday i haven't checked today but it's in atlanta so i assume super yeah okay unless all super game says no i can't imagine not bringing them in but yeah, yeah. something like that's going to be huge because that also sets expectations moving forward you know mm -hmm. regionals was always an event where you had your captive audience and thus priced to do so yeah. bane slayer angel got its nickname heading into region into regionals and nets like yeah it was wallet slayer for a reason <clears throat> and it, it is really interesting to see what people are going to do at those events too in terms of formats because if dreamhack is just like here's the main by the way there are some sides for it and then oh the entire time we're just going to fire off commander pods like right you care about bringing pioneer and modern for the sides to grind in to regionals which we know will exist but if commander's going to fire all day long do you just like shove on commander i would expect so but it's also dreamhack so maybe they'll do a legacy or a vintage event because why yeah. the hell not may as well yeah absolutely get the, get the audience in yeah. you can yeah because all it requires at that point would be a ticket and dreamhack is in the business of making money so exactly why not dedicated badge easy peasy yeah, for, so for me, this is basically just a lot of studying. This puts this puts me back in a spot where I need to spend a lot more time, yeah, focusing on things, and that that's really what like my four big points are boiled down to. Yeah, and I I think for me it's studying and also starting the conversations with the locals again. Like, hey guys, what do you actually need? Yep. What do you want? And letting them know, hey, I'm here. I'm more mindful of this. What's going on? How do we work it out? Absolutely. So. Anything else before we head to picks? Let's head to picks. I am referencing Double Masters again, and I should remember when the set was printed, but I don't. <laughs> it's fine. Irrelevant. Cool. So yeah, I'm going first this week because I said so. Neither of us picked a Sounds rare, good. though. No. No. It's, and I don't know if this is the first time it's happened or not but here we are i think it's the first time we've both simultaneously not picked a rare for sure yeah and we both picked commons we did yeah go us popper so i'm on expedition map this week this is a card yeah. i've been watching for not too long yeah about a year i've had it's like one of the longest living cards on my list and i just expedition map is just a card like it is ridiculous that it just doesn't get printed more and the fact that it still has the kind of demand it does is is insane because they just don't yeah. reprint this thing so right now we are at a bit of a plateau for the zendikar version which is what i'm looking at we did have a recovery in price after the double masters printing in uh, august of 2020 that's what the huge downturn was right around july cratered from 2xm and we're, we're finally recovering on market which is great that's where we want to be initially ck was buying 86 at a dollar 15 tcg there's 216 on the open market 158 i'm uh, sorry dollar 58 
right now CK is buying a hundred and sixty one at a buck fifty up just a little bit on both accounts from one seventy six and a dollar forty and they're a hundred and eighty nine at a dollar seventy five on TCG player. So all in all we're we're going up where we need to and down where we need to to kind of move this forward as a spec. So uh you know as expected for EDH this card is played in any deck that wants to ensure they can find their quote-unquote land package or highly impactful lands uh, yep. at any given time. It's an artifact, so it just goes in everything. Yeah. I believe this card is actually underutilized across the format. Currently, it shows its best pairings are in mono-black decks, obviously to fetch Coffers or Urborg, or in mono-red to fish up Valakut because that's what you do. Yep. Instead, however, it should see more play in decks that run lands like Nykthos, or Thespian Stage Dark Depths, Shadow Lands, or any of the myriad of utility, dual, or tri-lands within the format. Yep. Adoption of the card, lower than we would expect, but I do believe this is part of the feedback loop on Wreck, which is playing against us this time, yeah. finally. But as more interesting lands continue to show up that people want to guarantee they hit instead of employing the we'll get there when we get there strategy, you know, we'll see the rate we expect. So just the adoption rate. So, oh, good. You got something? I, I was going to say, I, I think the feedback loop, not just on EDH rec, but also just the general bias of this card is a Tron card. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought when I was looking at this. My first thought was like, oh, this goes in Tron, and you just play it in Tron. And I was like, wait, no, this just goes in everything. And the reason I don't have everything. it in everything is because I don't own enough to put it in everything, which is a yeah. me problem, not a this card problem. Facts. Right? Like, I don't play it in Elves, it gets Cradle. Like, I, I just don't know what you're doing. Like, yeah. why is this only. Literally gets everything. Yeah, like, you take a look at Wreck, and it's just literally paired with Black Generals and like a couple of red generals but then you see like yeah. tricolor lands in here for some reason so i just like something's going on it's on, whatever's going on is under the surface and thus this shows up as being underutilized overall yeah. so timeline for this card uh you know as i pointed out uma sent this into a tailspin from a four dollar card down to a two dollar card it basically halved it so that lasted about eight months, and we're finally starting to recover from that. So with the rest of the Triumphs coming in Nuka Pena and people still finding utility in all the channel lands, specifically the channel lands, I expect this to begin moving after Commander Legends and prior to the new year once trepidation about a reprint has lifted because we're going to see Commander Legends, we're going to see like the rest of the Commander decks come through, and we're going to get double masters which is where this card think, was last printed and i don't think i mean who knows watsi has done crazier things i don't think we'll see it in double masters back to back could be wrong yeah it was i mean we had dread what was the the dinosaur Fan. and what four straight standard sets so maybe and but i would think not and modern masters too because they got the colossal i oh don't no, so the phantasmal colossal dread they got the phantasmal the uh reprint yeah. thing um yeah the other interesting thing about 
its appearance in Double Masters is that it got the full art treatment alongside all the other Tron pieces. Yeah. So that could have been why it was included in there, but that's just kind of chintzy. So I, I agree with your point. I doubt we'll see it again. I think it was just there for the box topper kind of thing. Yeah. But that timeline, that trepidation about reprint, is about four to eight months from now because if we don't see it in Commander Legends, probably not going to get it in any of the command in any of the standard sets or the Commander yeah. products. This is untethered essentially, so we could hit a reprint in a standard set, but I doubt it. Uh, we do now have the full Commander Legends spoiler, I believe, just about, and I think it's been crunched out. Oh, that's so, right, you sent me that. Yeah, I didn't look at the crunch. Yeah, I, I think I think we're safe, which is okay. good. So a reprint equity, you know, over time, this card seems to have found a home in supplemental sets and only supplemental sets with a high dense with a high density of utility lands. So it was reprinted in Modern Masters 2015 and Double Masters, both of which were just rife with utility lands from things like the Karu lands, the Ravnica Bounce lands in Modern Masters 2015, two to the Tron pieces, and the Creature lands in Double Masters. And when you look at yeah. those sets, they are overwhelmingly non-basic land heavy. So I, w I really don't expect this to be in a set that doesn't have a ton of non-basics, which yeah. is good for us in regards to reprint equity. As far as buy quantity is concerned, between utility and constructed formats and commander, I feel perfectly fine stacking 10 to 15 play sets of these at their current price and outing them over time. There is no commander player that can't use these, and while you can only play one per deck, most commander players have more than one deck. So it's unlikely most uh, of my other like so unlike most of my other commander focused picks, trading multiples to one player is a definite possibility. And then you pointed out already this is a this is a Tron card, and you play four in Tron. So again, that's a playset immediately. I really this is probably one of the easiest specs to churn at quantity and trade that I think I've picked in a long time. For sure. And I think, you know, something that I would like to see is, and I expect to see, is the continued adoption of this card because of the channel lands. Mm -hmm. Because it literally tutors it to your hand yep. and you just get to use it right away. I mean, what's not to love about that effect? Mm -hmm. I, I get to tutor up Boseju and kill your Trinisphere or whatever in EDH. Odawara, bounce your stuff, yeah. Iganjo, all the good mm -hmm. stuff. Like, whatever you need to do, you can tutor it up with extra utility for these channel lands, which typically most land tutors, one, are sorcery speed. Yep. Uh, and two, if they're instant speed, it's usually a fetch land or something that's going to fetch it into play, like Crop Rot. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So this occupies a really unique, like, niche for these new cards that we're getting. And granted, Channel is currently, I believe, tied to the plane. That doesn't mean it's going to stay that way forever. I would imagine this is the kind of keyword that Wizards is going to look at a little bit and say, "Yeah, let's revisit this as evergreen." Yeah, it's see what happens. Yeah, it's weird. It's no, it's no longer chained to anything specific like a lot of things in the old Kamigawa set were, like Soul yeah. Shift and um, that dumb one that that uh, said you couldn't cast any more spells. You had to keep casting epic. epic. Yeah, like, yeah, stuff like that. I think was tied to the plane. Yeah, this this is one that seems like it's not Soul Shift was specific to spirits. Like flavor wise, it's not specific to this. So 
think we could see some good growth there. I hope so. I hope so. Your common. Yes, my common. Foil Deadly Dispute. Uh, this is one of the most powerful draw cards Black has had in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we just got Reckoner's Bargain out of Kamigawa. The reason that I think in particular Deadly Dispute is so powerful is because you get the treasure out of it. It's one mana, draw two to three cards, depending on the artifact you're sacrificing. At instant speed, get a treasure token. Two mana, but yeah. Uh, yeah, well, if with a treasure token, it's almost like Oh, yeah, one. yeah, so you get the one back, yeah. Uh, got it. I'm specifically picking the foil. Why? Well, it was in Collector Boosters, and as we know, Collector Boosters tended to devalue foils across the board. The interesting thing at this card specifically is if you look at the foil delta to non-foil on TCG Player, it's like 60 cents market in terms of, or sorry, like 40 cents market. In terms of listing difference, though, it's less than half. Now, the really interesting thing about this, and I like full transparency, that may turn some people off is if you look at the card kingdom buy list right now they're paying 278 for the non-foil on up to basically unlimited quantity because it's a common and they're paying 220 on the foil and they only want four so a little bit less movement there but this is the kind of thing that once it starts seeing play in edh once people start adopting it in modern more those are formats where people tend to foil out. So I think you're looking at a longer, you know, a better return on those and maybe a little bit more liquidity. Uh, the reason being, it's a foil common. That's easy to foil out. Yeah. It's also about the price of the non-foil. Well, given the choice, if I'm in a singleton format or if I'm in an internal format where I'm basically foiling all my stuff out anyways, obviously I'm going to go that mm-hmm. route. So in terms of play sets or depth, um, currently I just picked up 13 of them earlier this week because that was all that was listed for under $4 and 50 cents with shipping. Uh, We've started to see listings when I killed that quantity. We were at 42 listings. Uh, We now have 38 of those. So another four disappeared. Now, the interesting thing is that of those 38, 34 are near mint LP, as we'd expect from a standard set. In terms of timeline, this is where it gets really interesting. So we did just get Reckoner's Bar. Yep. I don't think we're going to see this card reprinted for a long time, because what they've been doing over the last two to three years is iterating on this concept. Granted, Treasures are Evergreen. So we may see it in one of the later sets, uh, I would expect, just because of the way rotation is going to work, we probably wouldn't see it in Dominaria. We may see it in Brothers War. We may see it in Universes Beyond mm. Lord of the Rings, just because flavor-wise, there's a few times where Deadly Dispute would make sense in the storyline if they decide to do it. Assuming we clear those reprints, what we've seen from staple commons like this in the past you're looking at about an eight to ten month range before you start to see a sizable growth return of about you know 15 20 percent so timeline you're looking at about a year i wouldn't want to go more than four or five play sets deep just because all right at like five dollars a piece you know 
we're looking at a hundred bucks. Yeah. That's what I want to park on a spec like this, throw it in a box, forget about it. Uh, so timeline in terms of return, if we do dodge that, eight to 12 months is when you'll see a profitable return for trade. So this is a little bit more long-term. Now in terms of buy list, that's anybody's guess. Again, transparency, full disclosure, with the way Card Kingdom's buy list looks, with the way Star City's buy list looks, it may be a bit before we see a buy list return on this. But this is the kind of card that at least anecdotally, I've had a lot of people locally asking at stores, hey, do you guys have deadly disputes? Especially Pioneer. Red, black, mid-range is a deck. Black is one of the most powerful colors in the format. Maybe some new decks come out that take advantage of this and want to abuse yeah, this. Yeah, it plays well in the sacrifice stuff. Yeah, it, it's just a really good all-around utility card that I think sees a lot of potential. Yeah. And I think for four to five bucks, park it for a year. See what happens. Worst case, I don't think it goes down. No. But at $100, I mean, if I get 60 buy list out of it at the end, I'm fine recycling that into credit and moving it into a better spec. Who knows? Just think it's an interesting, powerful effect that can see play. And like we were talking about, Pioneer, which has been announced, so now we have to pay attention to this. This could be one of those like tech cars that grows from that format outside of adoption in your traditional eternal formats like modern or pauper or something like yeah. that i'm glad you picked up on pauper because that is actually the most common format this is played in as a forex uh, yeah it's, yeah then like some amount of pioneer and historic because like the jun sacrifice deck is kind of the same or the racco sacrifice deck is kind of the same yeah uh, in both of those formats the the other thing and the that plays into this, and I don't know how well it plays into the foil, is the, the treasures theme coming down the pike in New Capenna and the obvious interactions with Revel and Riches and a lot of the treasure payoffs that are contained within the set as a whole just pushes yep. this card kind of naturally. Whether that speaks to the foil or not, <clears throat> I don't know. But again, to your point, the delta in the foil and non-foil being so small means you can probably trade out the foil to people even if they're not Pretty yeah, even if they're not looking for it yep just to get just to get out of it as far as timelines go I, I you know absolutely the the only concern i have is whether or not we need to expect this to move faster and just be ready for it because of yeah the ability to play <clears throat> it in an already established archetype in pioneer as, that's fair because yeah. as that format or pauper if that picks up in paper right you got so that's another thing you got to pay attention to so i think the parking it is fine paying attention to it fine you just have to decide what you want to do but i think there's opportunity to churn this faster than we might think for sure yeah that's definitely a valid point as well but yeah other than that i, I like it doom blade iterations are always interesting and yeah. this is probably one of the more unique ones yeah. with the least downside or the lowest downside the no claws really because you're sacrificing a creature to do this so i like it as a as a, as a pick overall definitely Got anything else for us this week? That'll do it All for right. me. One day you will, and it'll be glorious. But it will. We will see everybody next week. 
We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Halt I Am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. See you next week. <laughs>